Um, the same point was made that beyond commissions, simply protecting clients is our like that is at the core of what we do is protecting our clients on both sides of a transaction. And this is fundamental to that. Hello, everyone. Thank you for coming to our live today, um, as well as listening to the podcast. Today, we have a very special guest, one of our, well, pretty much our main real estate lawyer uh, that we love chatting with at the brokerage. Um, Mark Morris from LegalClosing.ca is with us today. Thanks, Mark, for joining us. Oh, I'm just here for the introduction. Just go on. <laughs> Mark, if you don't know Mark, he is very, very generous with his time. Um, I'm always bugging him for for random questions, but he also has a lot of um, great resources online. He deal he handles or manages a couple of great Facebook groups. If you're not a part of them, we'll make sure to link to those. Um, but it's a great, it's a great it's it's always great to be part of the industry when you're when you know people like yourself that are always willing to to give information and and help um help each other so thanks so much for for being here and for being you <laughs> that's really too kind thank you so much i'm really thrilled to be here awesome well it's great having you always and and we're we're going to jump pretty much right in i think maybe we'll we'll open with a little bit of banter i mean it's a new year we haven't spoken yeah. for a little bit and it's not my nature to go right into the stuff people want to hear. I like wasting their time with a couple minutes of back and forth. So how are things? Happy New Year. Thank you. Happy New Year to you as well. And actually, you know what? It's a good way to begin the interview because truthfully, unlike the past year or so where every single time I've started this and people say, how are things? I would break down in tears and bring out my psychologist to actually assist me in the uh, destruction of, of everyone's lives. Uh, it was it was a disastrous year last year. This year is actually starting off with a bit of a bang, which is which is really nice and quite unexpected. I think the con concept that interest rates have kind of hit a peak and that they're scheduled to go down has filtered into uh, a larger consciousness. Um, uh, certainly the deal flow that's coming into my office um, is higher than it has been in a while. And those people who have confided in me that they are in danger of default are magically, in some cases, finding money to close. Um, so, you know, it seems like lower interest rates solves all problems. And uh, I hope that it continues because really we've been through quite a two year period um, mm -hmm. and maybe a little bit of respite while we kind of just temper and and adjust to the new reality is is a welcome thing after all a soft landing or a soft decline is always the best way to go through uh declines um and so i'd like to just begin 2024 with a bit of optimism um just because people say why are you always so pessimistic to me but it's just because they've heard me over the past couple of months i'm usually not yeah um i actually uh I strangely, I have some um, some positive hopes and um, some good feelings about where we currently sit here, January 2024. Yeah, absolutely. And I feel the same way. Like, I mean, I don't I'm always hesitant to be super positive, especially on Twitter or X. <laughs> you don't want to you don't want to be over uh, over positive. But at the same time, um, I'm definitely seeing a lot more renewed activity, renewed confidence in the market. 
And um, I think we obviously have to proceed with caution, but it's nice to see uh, some, some more positivity, definitely. So, yeah, you great. know what, that's the best way to begin a year, really. It's, it's the start of a lot of hopes, a lot of dreams. And exactly. if you can start those hopes and dreams with some positivity, that's, that's the best. And that's the great way to begin the podcast too. There you go. For sure. Well, so, so on that note, then like the, the people coming into your office, I mean, to your point over the last considerable amount of time it's been so much uncertainty with interest rates with covid with what have you all these new things that have made uh, some additional complexity in real estate your role probably has been more so over the last little bit mitigating or avoiding problems rather than just working through deals and getting things done in more of a traditional sense are you are you seeing that as as a hopeful shift then when you're optimistic for 24 that it'll be less about that and more just kind of a, a spillover of what's left of what has been and, and into more of a let's do things more of a quote unquote normal way. Well, I've been positive. So now I can be slightly a bit, a bit, a bit <laughs> on the other side here. Uh, look, the higher interest rates, even if we have lower interest rates, even if we go down a full point or whatever it is, we still have people who are underwater holding their breath and are unable to complete. Uh, the dynamic that was at play last year is going to continue for this year as well. While there may be some respite, while there may be some optimism, while, you know, at the end of a rain shower, you still kind of can see on the horizon that there may be some sunlight. That doesn't mean you're not still drenched with with rain and, you know, filled with mud and everything. We are... We are still deeply in the hole and in in the in the um, problems that have arisen over the past two years, and that is as a result of higher interest rates, which higher interest rates continue to maintain themselves um, even with those declines. Moreover, remember we still haven't worked through the height of the pricing cycle. Um, the condo development cycle, particularly for new builds. Uh, takes place over a period of roughly five years. So if you assume that the height of the market took place in 2021, we're looking at 2025, 2026 until we work out those price points. And because existing price points are still 20% below where we were in 2021, we still have appraisal problems. We still have financing problems. People who bought only for the purposes of assignment, and there were many um, people who purchased on the understanding that they'd be able to secure a 2% interest, people who had jobs, uh, whatever it may be, we're still going through that dynamic. So the pain and the cycle will still continue. All I'm getting at is whereas before uh, holding your breath seemingly had no end, now if you can just hold your breath a little bit longer, perhaps there's a little bit of respite. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, what, like, so you have obviously a lot probably coming at you with regards to people that are just unable to close in very difficult positions. What, from a realtor perspective, what are the things that you see that a realtor can do? I mean, obviously they can't hand over a bag of cash and help them out that way, but what are some things that a realtor can do? Um, I'll leave it in your hands, but is there anything that can help to protect their commission? Cause I know that's a big deal as well to them. Um, and, totally. and what, what are you totally. seeing? Yeah. Well, let me let me let me delve into the technicalities of this because it strikes me that you know I deal with realtors all day every day and there's a lot of seasoned realtors who actually don't understand the technology at their fingertips. Mm -hmm. Technology is really one of the useful ways that people can actually help and ensure that their deals go through and that their commissions are paid. Um, many of you are aware that Geo Warehouse allows you to pull title. 
Um, Geo Warehouse is, of course, for those of you who are not agents and listening to this for some reason that I can't understand. I'm assuming this is majorly agents. But anyways, if you are not an agent, Geo Warehouse is the agent access to the land registry. And you are able, of course, to pull title through that system. Now, most agents have not done so. And the reason they have not done so is because after they push on the property details button, there's a little thing that pops up and says, do you want to pay 32 bucks? And someone says, I'm curious, but not that curious. And then they walk away from that from that cost. But if they pay the $32, what they're actually getting is title, the same sort of title that a solicitor gets. Now, the interesting thing is that if you look at title, it has a whole bunch of uh, title is basically you can think about it in computer terms. You can double click on any of the lines of title and it brings up the underlying instrument to double click costs a further $3. But if you take that instrument number. AT7345, whatever it may be, and put it into Geo Warehouse, you can buy that underlying instrument as well. What I'm getting at in English is that if you know how to do it, and please speak to your broker record if you do not, you are able to pull up the amount of the charges that are presently on title before you sell. This is critical because the sale price of a property needs to be sufficient to pay back both the charges on title and the realtor commissions, I guess not both because there's three, and the legal fees. And you should be, as a matter of course, as a listing agent, ensuring that whatever the sale price is that is negotiated at the end of the night is sufficient to cover all three. A lot of people are not. In fact, it's routine now in legal offices to be presented with um, deals where the sale price itself is not high enough to account for the payout of the mortgages, let alone the commissions or the legal fees. And as a result, the deal falls apart or gets very messy very fast. It is the case that if someone has, just as a matter of course, and I'm speaking to agents who probably are not familiar with what my next point, but I'm just going to tell you based on experience, if someone has two or three mortgages, you can realistically assume that the charge amount of the time mortgage is fully extended at this time. That is to say, usually if someone is into mortgage two or mortgage three, they have maximally extressed the existing first, meaning that you should work on the assumption that the charge amounts that are on title are the amounts that are due and owing. Because remember, that's not necessarily the case. I know I'm really delving into the law, but a charge on title doesn't mean that that's the amount owing. If you think about it, every single month, you're paying off your principal and your interest every single month, right? And so uh, the charge amount doesn't change. If I borrow a million dollars in the bank and over three years pay off a whole bunch of principal, uh, it still says a million dollars. So a million dollars may not be owing. But if you have more than one mortgage, it's almost always the case that that full amount is owing plus the second plus the third and that they've made very little by way of repayments. And you should work on the assumption that those full amounts plus perhaps an interest penalty has to be paid plus the commission plus the legals. And if, in fact, you've pulled title before your listing and you've noticed that the sale price is not going to net an amount that can pay this off, a serious discussion has to be made with the selling agent prior to you engaging in this process. Absent that, there is a whole messy procedure that therefore needs to take place, which I've been involved in many times over the course of last year as a result of the market conditions that we're currently facing. Note, this was never really the case, by the way, over the past 20 years, because in a rising, a rising market floats all boats. And as a result, a rising market means that you always had enough money to pay off the actual amounts due and owing. Um, but that is a feature of today's market where prices have been depressed and significantly depressed over time. Well, and, and to your point, 
for agents who are routinely uh, paying hundreds, if not thousands of dollars for things like photos and postcards and all the other things, 32 bucks to protect themselves in a deal is, it's not immaterial, but it's immaterial. It's definitely something that is, it's tangibly worth your while to invest, to protect yourself and to understand really beyond your commission, understanding the scenario that you're getting into or potentially getting into is crucial to the job that we do. Yeah, remember, it's not just that. It's not just protecting your commission. I mean, most people aren't aware of this either as agents, but you know, if you're under TREB's rules, as an example, TREB has rules that permit the cooperating agent to force the listing agent to sue their own clients for commission, um, for due and owing. Uh, there are actually any number of other rules as well that I can go into that would result in just what is in Yiddish we call, I know I'm being recorded, so I'm not going to call what I was going to call it, but a cluster bomb. Let's call it that. A cluster bomb is what will is what will exist uh, as between the cooperating agent who has no knowledge of any of this uh, and the listing agent. And people are going to say, well, listing agent, why weren't you diligent? Wouldn't a normal realtor who is ultimately listing a $2 million property have pulled title? Is that the standard of care that is expected of a real estate agent, I would suggest it is. I think that there is actually liability in not doing this as much as anything else, both towards the cooperating agent and perhaps the buyer. Um, you know, you're opening yourself up to a world of hurt. It really needs to become the standard of competence that a title search is pulled prior to actually listing properties in today's market. Absolutely. And 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 building on what you said, we are getting comments and, and anyone who's watching is welcome to ask questions as we go. We're keeping an eye. But um, the same point was made that beyond commissions, simply protecting clients is our like that is at the core of what we do is protecting our clients on both sides of a transaction. And this is fundamental to that when you're looking at the actual title information and instruments that might go beyond just first, second, third mortgages. Like there's other stuff you can see there that has equal or greater impact as well. There absolutely is. And, and and recall, by the time you're at a third mortgage or a second mortgage, you're often with Aunt Jane, who uh, went ahead and extended money to some random stranger through a mortgage broker and has no understanding of LTV and no understanding of declining real estate values and is at 95% LTV or even 100% LGV. You see ridiculous things on third mortgages sometimes. So the, these situations are not uncommon where there is not enough money to pay off. It happens regularly. I speak to lawyers all the time who call me and say, what the hell do I do now? And mm -hmm. and it's it's truly um, an epic situation that can be avoided with the diligence of a realtor at the get-go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's a really important point. So when things get to you, um, the what the hell do I do now type event, like what the hell do you do? <laughs> where do you start? And what what kind of conversations are you having? Well, in order to understand what to do, you really kind of have to understand how the order of priorities work and who gets what based on those orders of priority. So the first thing to note is that commission monies are being held in trust, but they're being held for who? I'm asking you guys. I'm just just because what the hell you're on this. You're on the spot with me. Who are they being <laughs> held for? The seller. 
They're not being held for the agents. Right. They're being held in trust for the seller. Now, right. the seller authorizes the payment of those commission monies at the conclusion of the deal and allows for the payments to take place pursuant to the listing agreement signed. But until that con deal concludes, those monies are being held in trust for the seller. Right. So put yourself in this position where there's a first, a second, a third mortgage, and the total mortgage values are a million dollars, and the sale price of the property is, say, I don't know, 995,000 bucks or $5,000 short. Let's just say hypothetically before commissions, before realtor, before legal fees and everything else. So who's not worried about that? Well, the first mortgagee for $800,000, they're going to get paid, right? Because whether they get paid or not, they can power of sale. And if the first mortgagee power of sales, they get their fees and as they get their mortgage and all of their fees and everything else, and then after they've fully paid themselves, after they've eaten and eaten and eaten and eaten, then they take whatever the remaining amount is and they pass it on to the second. The second will then eat and eat and eat and eat, take out their fees and whatever it is, pass it on to the third. The third will then take whatever remains and take a haircut. Now, that's the way it would play out in law. The third, knowing, or the second, depending on what the scenario is, knowing that it will play out that way, should be willing, on the advice of counsel, because first they're going to go to the lawyer and say, this bastard, what, what are they doing? And they'll, they'll scream and they'll yell and they'll have sleepless nights. But Aunt May, who actually went ahead and suggested this uh, and extended the money, will eventually be told, listen, you got to take your haircut here. Not to say that they can't sue the borrower. They can. They have a commitment. They can sue the borrower. But the security that they have is not worth the security that they thought. And in order to avoid the entirety of the power of sale process, which is going to rack up fees for lawyers, P.S., that's not a bad thing. You should always rack up fees for lawyers. I'm speaking on behalf of my industry. Good on you. We, we highly but assuming, assuming you don't care about our continuity and our ability to eat the way I do, you should <laughs> never really try to rack up fees for lawyers. So the third mortgagee is going to say, look, rather than go through the whole pay power sale process and everything else, they'll try to negotiate with the first and second to make sure their fees are kept to a minimum. And then they'll say, I will acquiesce and I'll allow this to go. And they'll usually get something from the borrower that says, you owe me the following money. But you'll note that I've only talked about this on a very high level and I have left off that thing that is most concerning for your clients or for, excuse me, when I say your clients, your listeners, which is what the devil happens to my commission. And this is where the trust account comes in. Because as you're aware, per Rico's dictates, money can only be moved from a trust account in one of three instances. First is completion. Second is court order. order. Third, mutual agreement between the parties. Now I'm gonna drill this into the listeners' heads here. It is not a mutual release. It is not a mutual release that is required. I know everyone says mutual release, but mutual release is just one form of mutual agreement. A mutual agreement can also be, we hereby direct all parties, seller and the buyer, hereby direct you to do this with the monies. Hmm. You're holding it in trust for us, do this. And what's that direction gonna be? It's going to be to pay that money directly over to the seller solicitor. That's what the direction should be from the third council. They should basically say, the third mortgagee should say, hold on, I'm ready to take my haircut. I'm ready to take my $5,000 loss. But I sure as heck, I'm not allowing these realtors who put me into this position. Not, it's not really who put them into the position. They just made a bad lend, but they're going to blame the realtors who arranged for this without actually consulting them. I'm not going to allow them to be paid a penny. So I am going to insist that the seller and the buyer both direct that money to go to the seller solicitor. Um, the seller solicitor will then use the maximum amount to pay off all three mortgages. 
and I'll take my haircut. You'll show me all the numbers and I will release my position. And you, the realtors, you still have your claim. You can go like me. Can Let's go sue that person in the normal course for mm. our commission. And that's what should happen. Now, practically, lawyers don't understand the power of sale process, nor do they understand how these things happen. I know that that I'm not speaking about all lawyers and many lawyers do, but lawyers who haven't encountered this, there's young lawyers, there's lawyers that don't regularly practice in real estate and everything else. Most lawyers don't actually understand to do this. Most lawyers just basically have the third take their haircut and don't worry about the commissions. And so you often get paid anyways, but a good lawyer that knows what they're doing would immediately do what it is I've said, undercutting your commission, basically getting the maximum amounts to the, uh, to the mortgagee holders and you're done. So what, do you find there's a common outcome? Is that that's kind of what happens? Like, do agents typically get anything at, at the end of the day? In almost all instances, I've seen the agents actually get money, hmm. um, particularly particularly the co-op agent, because the co-op agent, look, there's a whole there's a whole thing that goes on. The co-op agent is basically going to say, well, hold on a second, because the buyer technically owes me the money in the event that I don't get paid from you, because that's what the BRA says. Right. So I'm going to insist that this happen, else I'm just going to go to the first mortgagee, put them into power of sale and buy directly from that person. And I'm going to get paid my commission because it's in the buyer's interest to do this. Otherwise, I have a claim against the buyer, which is not what has been agreed to here. And so there, the co-op usually figures out a way of getting getting paid. Mm -hmm. Really, the person who ends up getting screwed is the listing agent. But again, that's 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 detailed machinations and negotiations that go on between the first, right. the second, the third, the buyer, the seller, the co-op, the listing. It's it's everyone. And generally what you need is you need one lawyer who actually understands this stuff to stand up and say, hold on, here it is. Here's the order of priorities. Confer with your clients. Here's what we're going to do. Here's what's going to happen with the co-op. Here's what the actual haircut is. Here's all the numbers. Let's move. Everyone agree. Good. Let's go. Sometimes you don't get that. Sometimes the deal falls apart. Uh, again, it depends on, on, on legal counsel. It really does. Look, laws... Law is a commoditized process to a large degree. In the same way, by the way, I mean, I've insulted my profession, I'm going to insult yours. In the same mm -hmm. way that selling a condo at ICE condos is a commoditized process. I mean, do you really think that there's huge advantage to hiring the best realtor out there if you're buying at ICE condos and you're one floor above and it's the exact same layout and it's the exact, you can figure it out, you can price it, you'll move the product, probably something pretty similar. It's largely commoditized. Same thing with most real estate deals until it isn't. And this is the same for real estate until it isn't. And this is an example of when it isn't. And this happens all the time. Not just this. I can bring up any number of other examples that we deal with. But understanding how the law works and understanding those dynamics and having the lawyer that can say to their clerk, thank you very much. This one's now on my plate. Let's move. And then starting with the letterhead, that's the value of a real estate lawyer. That's where we prove our worth. Yeah. Would you say that like this, this all lives separate? from the the contractual process between a client and a realtor um because this goes into what happens after the fact and and stakeholders who are not even part of the real estate process these mortgagees or sorry mortgagors um given though the new environment in ontario that we're in with tressa and and the need for greater disclosure and the need for um being as specific as possible in laying out there who gets paid what in various scenarios is there a benefit that would serve a realtor at all to be a little bit more specific and, and overdo it on that initial agreement or in the agreement of purchase and sale itself, speaking to contingent situations that could arise where, uh, you know, where, where monies need to be distributed and you're going to be lowest in the pecking order. 
Does that serve a realtor in any legal beneficial way whatsoever or not no, really? Fact, it's just it would, a separate piece of paper. It would be detrimental. So first off, nothing that you actually sign as part of your agreement of purchase and sale will change the secured interests on title, right? There's nothing you can do as between these parties that don't involve the mortgage or releasing their security that would in any way change things. Moreover, if you do start trying to change things, and if you do specifically start trying to change things in the agreement pertaining to mortgages, you will find quickly that your competence will be called into question because section 10 of the agreements are written that way for a reason. And section 10 call for clean title already. They say these right. are to be removed. And it is not worth your time to amend this without active legal support. I know what you're getting at, which is, hey, how can we bring value to our clients in this particular process? The only thing you can do is equip yourself with knowledge, which means title search. That is it. Please do not amend anything to do with mortgages on your agreement. It is well beyond your scope of competence, and you will find yourself in trouble. Sucks. Agree. Yeah. Let's talk about assignments, shall Yay! we? Yay! No. Yay! <laughs> I mean, well, well, you, 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 you touched on uh, what what has been uh, an elephant in the room for quite some time now with what's going on and and people buying into the hype and and rightfully so, you know, four, five, three, two years ago, even um, speculating and pretty much being sure that worst case scenario, this will be worth what it was when I bought it. And to your point, interest rates, maybe they go up a point, but I'll be fine with whatever my intention is. And lots of people have been running into situations that you're seeing probably as much or more than any where they're not fine and they can't close. Um, what right now is sort of the, the, the biggest issue you're seeing associated with that and how best are you dealing with it and advising people that are running into these situations who have already committed and are now coming up on that date where that that water level continues to rise, even though they see sun on the horizon, it's farther than when their closing date is. So before before I answer that question, can I just give a bit of a political polemic? Um, sure. I absolutely hate when people approach this particular question with shoot and fried, which I don't think you are, um, um, and say, ha ha, that investor gets it. Let's let's boot him in the pants. Ha ha. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, every one of us has an obligation to take care of our families and our kids and every one of us, even especially amongst families that actually have assets, have taken a risk in their life. Uh, the Canadian economy is designed, the Canadian economy structurally has a fundamental problem to it where it is not fostered around innovation or uh, enterprise um, and has since World War II basically encourage people to take a risk in one area only real estate after all you want to open up a restaurant good luck to you no one's extending a single dime you want to actually start up a tech company good luck to you use your own money uh or bdc if you're lucky for a limited amount but that's not going to move at the speed of business uh the only thing where you can actually get money is is real estate and thus that's where people take their risks and yeah they lose but we shouldn't be sitting there gleefully saying stupid investors you've ruined it for all of us no the canadian government policy has ruined it for all of us and these are the people who are now caught in the middle Many Many people have made good income. Many people have built huge fortunes on the back of this. And that people are being blamed for having taken those risks is defiant of us as a society having structured an economy that is encouraging anyone to do anything but. Um, and so I would just encourage people to think about that as we start discussing those investors uh, that I'm about to discuss who have purchased assignments on HELOCs who have borrowed money from their parents, who never had any viable source or ability to actually go ahead and close on things. And yes, we can say, ha, 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 you shouldn't have done this, but we could equally say, ha, 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 you should have remained impoverished 
Um, many, many, they've watched other people gain wealth this way and they chose to take their risk and they're losing. And so you got to feel for them. It's not to say, by the way, that we should be coming to their rescue. It's not to say that there should be government handouts or policies or anything. No, it's a risk. You took it, you're done. You may go bankrupt. That's it. Fine. Mm. But we're not going to revel in it. That's 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 my point, which which is something I see online. I think compassion is sorely missing from this area. Yeah. Now, that has nothing to do with the questions you've asked at all. But that's again, I figured a political polemic before we kind of. No, yeah, we will we will save that though for your uh, for your campaign for prime minister the upcoming <laughs> to be announced are we are we breaking Mark news Morris for uh, prime minister news. <laughs> uh, um so um assignments what to do and when you you asked the really interesting question that I don't think you realized you asked Daniel which is um where do I see the systemic problems happening well the systemic problems are actually um sort of morphing these days uh, just talking systemically, and this has nothing to do with the audience that's listening, but it's just interesting. The systemic problems are actually morphing from individuals' problems to builders' problems because there are mm -hmm. enough defaults that are starting to happen that they're becoming statistically insignificant. Um, and when builders themselves feel that there is a lack of ability to close on a project, then they start hurting. And that then affects the lenders for future projects. And so this has ramification down the line. Uh, those places that saw the weakest and the, the biggest problems were those places where appraised values were coming in significantly below. And for the past two years, that's largely been in freehold land. And that's kind of coming to an end because the 2021 cycle for freeholds has kind of played itself out. I've mentioned before that the condos have a five-year cycle. Freeholds usually have a two-year cycle. So the height of market have kind of worked through the system. But we saw over the past two years, many, many projects where people were coming in $300,000 under on a 1.5. And as a result, they were having to come up with that extra $300,000. But it wasn't just them. It was everyone who was closing in that project. And as a result, going to the builder and saying, hey, give me a BTB was something they were amenable to. Otherwise, they weren't going to get any money in and then they were going to go bust. Um, and we're seeing, by the way, a bunch of mid-sized builders have a lot of trouble. I just heard of one out in Barrie uh, that is pretty well known uh, that, uh, you know, that the I know very well they're having significant trouble. I've heard of one in the downtown core that is now experiencing significant trouble. There are builders that, and and the lending environment for builders is is not favorable, and they are experiencing their own pressure. Having said that, that really wasn't the essence of the question you were asking, because you were saying, hey, I have a whole bunch of realtors here who are trying to do a whole bunch of assignments. Tell me about it from the individual perspective. And so I'll now answer that question. What do the individuals do uh, when they themselves can't assign themselves away? when they're forced into a closing position. Well, the first, look, I, I'm try, I try to bring interesting value to the conversations I have and not recite every something everyone has heard a hundred times. So let me tell you something interesting, which is I'm encouraging every single person to try to get an assignment on paper, even for builders that are denying those assignments. Because it is my belief, and it's not substantiated by case law, but I do believe it to be the case, that if you position an assignment that the builder rejects, and the builders are not rejecting many assignments, though I have had one in the past month, if the builder rejects an assignment that you bring to them, it is my contention that they have not adequately mitigated their damage if you've alerted them to the fact that your client cannot close. And as a result, they are limited to the deposits that have been put down as liquidated damages and cannot proceed against your client's for remainder damages. That's not to say they can't proceed, they will, but I think that there's a valid defense in court to say that we tried to help you mitigate this loss, you did nothing of the sort, as a result, you cannot come after me now for the differential because you're now selling for $200,000 less. I brought you someone. So it's always worth your time to try to assign. And builders are more than willing to allow assignments because if you think about it, 
the builder is getting more security, not less through an assignment because the original uh, assignor remains on the hook. The problem is that the assignment market is largely illiquid. Um, and the interesting dynamic that took place was that at the beginning of the year, the assignment mark, assignments were selling at something close to their purchase price from 2019. Over the course of last year, and particularly the last four months of last year, we saw that people were walking away from whole deposits. And it's now kind of the case that assignments can be picked up for 20% off price because that's the deposits that have been placed. What's more, they're even willing in some cases to pay the realtor fees over and above that amount. And as a result, the assignment market is moving, but it's moving at that metric. So it's still liquid, but it's liquid at a loss. That's painful for a lot of people, but it's a deal a lot of people are ready to accept because it's sunk cost and people are signing assignment agreements on that basis. But the problem is that the assignment market is still severely depressed and finding even a fish at those prices is somewhat difficult. And in the event that they can't find that, then they have to make the decision to close or not. And then the job of the lawyer becomes interesting because the job of the lawyer really becomes setting out what the cost of not closing is versus the cost of closing. Now, of course, you can't detail that in specifics because who knows what they're going to resell for, which is the big variable, and when they're going to resell. But you can you can roughly approximate it. And I do this all the time. I, I have these conversations once a day with clients at this point. And I say, hmm. look, here's what it will cost you to close. Here's what land transfer taxes are. Here's what the adjustment costs are. Here's what the cost of holding at today's interest rate on a private mortgage for six months is, which is going to be the cost until you sell. Here's the realtor fee plus commission and everything else. Here's what you will net at the end of the day versus if you walk away, how much are they willing to resell? How much will they likely resell for? When will they resell for that? What are the damages? that they can claim? How much do they already have as a deposit? Are they able to go after you for more than that? And now that you have all these factors, although I can't assure you of any of them, this is my best guess, make your business decision as to whether or not you want to breach a contract. Because here's the critical component. And now I'm speaking to lawyers on this channel who may be listening. Breaching a contract is not illegal. Breaching a contract is not illegal. Breaching a contract is not illegal. I know I said that three times. It wasn't a glitch. I'm trying to say it so that we all understand this. It is illegal to go 101 kilometers on the highway. It is illegal to trespass on someone's property. Why is it illegal? It's illegal because the government has passed the legislation, whether it be the Trespass Act or the Highway Traffic Act or anything else or the criminal code that says you shall not do this. That's what it says. And thus, a lawyer cannot help you, cannot advise you to go 101 kilometers. If you say, my wife is pregnant in the car, you say, great, but it's still not legal to do that. And there's no exception to that. That's what the law is. That's not to say you're not going to go over 100 kilometers. Go ahead. It's just you're breaking the law. You're not breaking the law and breaching an agreement. It simply has consequences. And as a result, the job of the lawyer is simply to describe what the consequences are of going through option one and option two, which is what happens when you don't have an assignment. And then you make a business decision with the risk replete on your shoulders, but an educated decision. Again, another reason to go to a knowledgeable lawyer who understands what's going on. And then from that point onward, you're actually then able to say, okay, this is how we're proceeding. And more and more of my clients are deciding to proceed with breach because they understand the consequences. And by the way, as with everything in life, once you understand consequence, it is far easier to make decisions than if you're just scared and staring into the abyss. Yeah. Scared and staring into the abyss means paralyzed uh, inability to make decisions. Understanding yeah. what the ramifications and resulting outcomes will be of decisions allows you to make measured and easy or better decisions, which allows you to navigate through what is a very difficult time being unable to close on a deal. 
And then the third option is either assignment, breach, or you take private financing and you move forward or mm -hmm. uh, you do something extraordinary by borrowing from parents or anything else. And that that has its own consequence, but you can work it out financially. Mm -hmm. So after all, purely a financial thing. Yeah, I, <clears throat> I've been thinking more and more about just the whole pre-con market and how you know, if there's speaking to uh, the the upcoming prime minister here, what would you say? Because I'm just thinking like what protections can be put in place for developers as well as for buyers of these pre-construction units where you're purchasing five years prior to a building being built and you having to close on it. So a lot can happen in five years. You can lose your job, you can move, you can do all these sorts of things. So like we're approving people based on, one moment in time, many years prior to the actual requirement to close. Like, I, I don't know if, I don't think, I don't know if there's an answer or there's, there is. There's, yeah. There's so an answer. How can we, how can we, protect uh, you simply, simply say, listen, there's a lot of risk replete in new construction. So let's do this thing with the builder, the builder, let's go up to them before the contract is signed. And let's say, instead of an elongated deposit schedule, let's expedite the deposits, but you will allow me to sign in a corporate name. In other words, I'm in this for the corporation alone. You'll get my deposits up front. That's my commitment that I'm ready to close, but I don't want to be tied to this long-term. And there's actually quite a few people who have signed in pure hmm. corporate names with a whole bunch of builders. But generally the builder is loath to do that if they're just taking 5% per year. If there's an LSQ project right. where they're taking 5% per year, no, like that means nothing to me. So what you want to do is you want to say to the builder, listen, I know you have a policy where you don't allow people to sign in anything but their personal names. But with respect, screw your policy. I'd like mm -hmm. to sign in a corporate name and I will give you your deposit monies largely up front, but you have to give it to me in my corporate name. That's the deal. You go back, you go speak to your owner and the owner's going to say, for sure, because we're going to have your deposits. We have 20% and I'm ready to take that risk. They're not, remember, they're not moving product right now. This is still mm -hmm. a game for them. There you go. Yeah. You're done. So that is actually a very viable and good way in today's market of actually protecting your client as against future volatility. Uh, hmm. No one is doing it except for this one person that I know, but <laughs> I strongly suggest it. Yeah, well, that's a good point. Well, I, I think that that's a great unique strategy that I haven't, I haven't seen anybody do that either, but it's something that you've heard it here first from the future prime minister that builders will say okay to that too. So don't take no for an answer. Can I when object you go to, to something for a second? I'm actually, I know this is going to get me in a lot of trouble. I'm a liberal. And I do, I therefore think that if I am to be future prime minister, I have about 12 years to wait until the cycle goes through. Cause I, <laughs> okay. I, I don't think, I don't That's think okay. we're raising our heads above <laughs> this water anytime soon. Every, every campaign has to start somewhere. Every campaign has to That's start right. somewhere. It and you know what, a, a dozen years, a dozen years of runway makes this all the more realistic for you. So we just yeah. want to, we just want to go in history as the place it all started. That's where very we want to go. Very good. Yeah. Um, you, you also touched on though, and, and, and I know that, um, people are still wondering whether breach is, is illegal. You might want to, you might want to bring that up one more time, whether that's against the law breach of contract, but we could talk about that later. Um, but Hope is not a strategy. And I think people lose sight of that. And as realtors, when we, do, even at, in the onset, when we do an assignment deal with somebody, or not an assignment deal, sorry, you buy a pre-con deal today, we set and forget that for the most part. And I don't want to paint everybody with the same brush, but it's incumbent on us, especially in this environment, to keep checking in on our clients and on the situation and on the economy and what's going on. Because you're right, people don't, think about it until they need to 
And often when they need to, it's getting close to too late or it's a lot hairier than it could have been if you were a year ahead of time or, or what have you. So keeping your eye on the ball and not just depending on things will turn around because I still have a year and a half to go or whatever it is, is really important as well. And I, I think um, that's something that that's something that I take from what you were saying as well. I know that wasn't the exact point you were making necessarily either, but um, it's really, and, and you're getting tons of support here for your campaign. I'm, that's why I keep looking to the left here. There's, there's like, I'm pretty sure there's like, whatever the, are there packs in Canada? Or is that just a States thing? Like a pack where, where they, I, remember i have 12 years to figure this out so yeah. i have oh, no okay. idea we'll we'll still we'll, we'll figure out a way to get fundraising Recon from this deal. Video. you've got way more time you can you got time <laughs> yeah uh, i totally agree with you yes um yeah. you know holding holding your client's hand and being there for your clients uh particularly for for new build construction i'm i'm a realtor by uh I, i'm also a realtor i don't practice i only practice in law but i'm a broker as well and interestingly uh, one day i'll never forget i was just standing outside a new build center i'm not going to mention the thing but I, I got five deals one day by standing outside of a sales center just saying hi there let me take you in i mean it was i don't know who these people are i still don't know who they are but like the, these checks just rolled in one day it was wild I, it was like I couldn't believe that that was the standard by which oh uh, we were. It was it was nuts. Um, we just lost we just lost every listener because they all ran to find their their nearest sales center and they're it's not going to work that well right anymore. Now. No, no, this was back in the heyday. Yeah. It, it was, won't work, guys. Don't do it. 2009 or 2010. It was it was crazy. <sighs> but look, uh, that that's not the that's not. And there's a reason, by the way, I'm not a realtor today because that you know, like you could see, I'm I'm better in this area than than, than that one. Um, Look, the be all and end all is you have an obligation to your clients and that obligation requires you to care about your client's interests, put their interests before your own. And that means continual dialogue, understanding who they are and not just dropping the deal once the commission is earned. Um, it's ensuring for your own benefit and for your own reputational benefit as much as anything else that these things continue and that your relationship continues with them and that you are seeing them through the process. And if you feel uneasy about speaking to those people you sold new build product to because of the circumstance, then perhaps that is a requirement to take an internal evaluation of what you are peddling to your clients, because that unease stems from the fact that you've locked them into something which is not to their benefit, which is fundamentally your obligation as a realtor. Yeah, no, so true. Very wise words. Thank you so much, Mark, for coming on and uh, joining us. We have a lot of people that got, got a lot out of this uh, session. So we really, really appreciate it. How do people find you? Because at this point, I'm sure a lot of people want to refer their clients to you. So what you do is you wait until the evening and then you look for the bat symbol um, and you just follow it and you're, you're <laughs> legalclosing.ca. I work, I, work, I, work, <laughs> I work with a colleague, Alex, and she and I um, are available 24 seven. Um, we would love to hear from you. Legalclosing.ca, simple, straightforward. You'll see all of our details. Our pricing is right on our website. It's flat fee and basically we're awesome. Go look us up and there wow. it is. But I really appreciate guys. Uh, as a matter of course, let me just say my, my last words. You were good enough to introduce me very kindly and give me the time. I will tell you, um, I speak to a lot of brokerages and I speak to a lot of people. There is a world of difference between those people who care about their craft and who are trying to inculcate a quality experience and foster uh, large-scale education and um, bring about professionalism. Uh, and I count you two as foremost amongst them. So it's a real pleasure to be here. 
And I appreciate very much the opportunity to actually be able to speak to audiences that care about this on its merit and for the purposes of benefiting Ontarians as a whole. So thank you for that opportunity. Thank you very much. You. It's it's always where we'll have you back again. And we do need some sort of a bat signal or maybe like a, like maybe we'll just be like or something like that. And <laughs> and you just show up on, on the broadcast because uh, this won't be the last time that you're on with us. The feedback is already spectacular. And yeah. uh, you've always been a pleasure to talk to. Always a wealth of knowledge. And we appreciate you taking the time. Yeah. Thank you, guys. My very best. All right. Take care. Thank you. Level up, level up, level up, level up. Level up. Level up.